Right, so last week, Pastor Rick, he finished up um, our second lesson in the atonement. And this week, we move into the resurrection of Christ. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis said, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole of history of history of the universe. He says, he is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open the door that has been locked since the death of the first man. John Calvin said, the cross of Christ only triumphs in the breasts of believers over the devil and flesh, sin and sinners, when their eyes are directed to the power of his resurrection. John Piper, in speaking about the resurrection, said, the whole Bible says he was raised not just after the bloodshedding, but by it. This means that what the death of Christ accomplished was so full and so perfect that the resurrection was the reward and vindication of Christ's achievement in death. I love that, that quote. The, re the reward and the vindication, which we'll talk about in a second. Robbie Zacharias said that outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no hope for this world. The cross and the resurrection, the cross and resurrection at the core of the gospel is the only hope for humanity. The only hope for humanity. And the last quote, the last quote here, the resurrection was the crowning event in God's redemptive history, the cornerstone of Christianity, the foundation of the gospel, and the guarantee of heaven. John MacArthur. <clears throat> so I think all of these uh, quotes and thoughts are right about uh, the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ is not a small event in, in the New Testament. When we read about the resurrection in the Bible, we shouldn't sort of just read over it and uh, sort of skip words like a college student who's reading over a book that he doesn't want to read so he can get to the book that he does want to read. <laughs> I remember doing that in college myself, which all of us have. Um, I think as God opens our eyes to better see and feel the weight of the resurrection of Christ, we can sort of slow down and uh, more fully appreciate, I think, every word of Jesus our Lord was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Romans 4, 425. Um, and so as, as we see that, as we slow down and sort of feel the weight of the resurrection, it almost has these tentacles that shoot out to every, every, every area of our lives um, as we focus in on the resurrection of Christ. Um, so I just read a few quotes from some well-known and well-respected men whose lives and ministries have had deep and fruitful impacts on Christendom as a whole. Uh, but if the foundation of our hope in the resurrection of Christ is found only in men, even these men, then as Paul said, we are of all people most to be pitied. But 
the Bible itself gives evidence of the resurrection, and that changes everything for the Christian. Um, not only for the Christian, but for all of humanity. <clears throat> so first, we'll look at some uh, New Testament evidences for the resurrection. Some New Testament evidences for the resurrection. Um, let me have someone go to Mark 16. And then I'll have you read verses 1 to 8. And then someone else go to John chapter 20. Um, and if you wouldn't mind reading uh, 1 to 10. So someone to Mark 16 and someone else to John 20. Okay. And who wants John? Okay. Thank you. I think I'm going to go to Luke. I'll read that one. Okay, so first, Mark 16, 1 to 8. John 20. Thank you, Dan. So uh, we have those narratives. We have narratives in Luke 24, Matthew 28. So there's clear New Testament evidence for the resurrection of Christ. This wasn't something that was sort of done in a corner. Um, it was something that was uh, well known. Um, and it's, it's clear in the New Testament. We have further evidence of the, of, of the resurrection in Acts, the epistles, um, revelations. Um, some of which, I'll just read uh, a couple here. Acts 3, 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. So you have uh, Luke here writing that, look, we were, we were there. We, we saw this. We are eyewitnesses of 
this resurrection, right? And then Acts 17, 30 to 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all. How? By raising him from the dead. So he links repentance, a judgment that is to come, and says, this is your assurance. Jesus was raised from the dead. So because that happened, we know the other two are absolutely necessary and will come to pass, right? And then let me have someone read 1 Corinthians 15 here. So another clear uh, testimony in the epistles that Jesus was raised. God has raised him from the dead. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the nature of Christ's resurrection. While Christ's death was the culmination or climax of all the harmful results of sin in the world, his resurrection is a triumph and a reversal of all the harmful results effects of sin in the world. So this Adam Christ, right? Uh, Adam has uh, earned for us uh, condemnation, guilt, judgment because of his disobedience. Um, Bible says he transgressed the covenant, right? But Christ comes and, and in Adam's sin, uh, he sins sin, sin enters death through sin and everything in uh, the cosmos is sort of turned on his head, uh, which points to God's holiness and the weight of uh, what that sin accomplished for us. But Christ is sent, comes on the scene, and in his uh, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, turns everything on its head, Turn the, turns the fall, the effects of the fall on its head. And now in him comes redemption um, and the uh, recreation of all things. So unlike other instances of people rising from the dead, uh, Jesus was the uh, first fruits of resurrection. His body was made perfect, no longer subject to weakness, uh, aging, or death. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 here says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at the second coming, those who belong to Christ. Then at the second coming, those who belong to Christ. <clears throat> Where am I here? All right, so let me sort of, well, I want to talk about uh, first fruits here and the importance of this first fruits idea. First fruits here refers to the first of many others to be raised from the dead to never die again. The term first fruits refers to the first sample of an agricultural crop that indicates the nature and the quality of the rest of the crop. Therefore, Christ's, resurrect, Christ's resurrection body gives a foretaste of what those believers will be like. So he's the first fruits of, again, the nature and the quality of what those believers will be like. I remember, um, 
when I was younger, I grew up in St. Petersburg. We had this small house on 19th Street. And um, my mom would be baking um, muffins, these blueberry muffins. Right? You can almost smell it through the house. And I love blueberry muffins. <laughs> and um, so we would run to the kitchen, and she'd be baking these muffins. And it was like she, she, she'd take this toothpick, and she'd put this toothpick in usually the muffin that's in the center. She put it in there and she pull it out to see if the toothpick had, it was wet or it was dry, right? And that was sort of an indication for her of if the rest were done. And it was just a huge thing for us. Like, can I, can I put my, can I put the toothpick in there? She let us do it. And it was like, <laughs> it made our day to be able to put the toothpick in the muffin. But again, it's, you, you sort of see the relation there. What she saw there indicated, okay, well, these are almost done or, or these are not done. It was that one row was a representation for the rest. We have sort of that same idea. And when you think about Christ as the first fruits. <clears throat> All right, um, another point under this, uh, the nature of Christ's resurrection, um, and this is a sort of common thought and question, was Jesus recognizable? Right? So did, we, did, did you recognize the, resurrect, the, the resurrected body of Jesus, the glorified body, um, or resurrected body, not yet fully glorified, of, of Christ? Um, and the answer to that is, well, not always immediately. <clears throat> so you, you guys remember the narrative of the uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So they're, they're making this seven-mile um, trip from Jerusalem to um, Emmaus, and they're sort of talking about... Um, the one who was to redeem Israel. Um, and in verse 16 of, what is it, Luke um, 24? Yeah, I think it's so, 24. Verse 16 says, Jesus, sort of, he was, he was there. Uh, he, he, veiled them, he veiled them from recognizing him. And then in verse 31, it says that he opened up their eyes to see him. And so they're talking and they're, they're walking. And to them, so Jesus sort of, the Bible says he sort of draws near as these two disciples are walking on the seven-mile journey. They're, they're talking. And Jesus is engaging with them. And they, the Bible says that he, he looked just like a, another man, a, a visitor, someone who was just there. So it wasn't like he drew near and they're like, oh, or he drew near and they were like, hey, Jesus, what's up? No, it's, it's just he drew near and they just thought he was a visitor. He was just sort of someone who didn't know what was going on in, 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 in the area here. And so he wasn't always immediately recognizable. Mary Magdalene at the tomb uh, in John 21, 14, and 16, uh, she did not know it was Jesus, the Bible says. So in and, and John 20, 14, having said this, she, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Right? So he wasn't as easily recognizable. At other times, Jesus was immediately recognized. Matthew 28, 9, it says, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. So again, thinking about when Jesus was resurrected before he ascended to the heavens, was he immediately recognizable? Um, not always immediately, but sometimes he was. John 20, 19 and 20 says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors, be the, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet 
Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. All right, so he comes and he sort of, he stands amongst them. He, he's, he's in their presence and they recognize him. <clears throat> Another point under this, uh, again, thinking about the nature of Christ's resurrection. Jesus had a physical body after the resurrection. So there are times where this has been uh, disputed, and we'll talk about that in a sec well. But Jesus had a physical body after the resurrection. Let me have someone read here. Let me have someone read uh, John 20, 15 and 20, and then Luke 24, 39. So John 20, Luke 24, and then someone else go to Acts 10, 41. So who wants the John 20 passage? All right, Ryan, and then Luke 24. Lucy, and then Acts 10.41. Dan, okay. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing you to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Verse 20. Right. <laughs> he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. All right. Thank you. So, again, clear evidence that Jesus had a physical body after he was resurrected. Um, Luke, uh, they assumed that he was in Luke 24, uh, 15, 18, they assumed he was a visitor. His appearance was not outstanding, right? In Luke uh, 24, 28 to 30, he broke bread. In Luke 24, 41 to 43, he ate fish. Uh, in John 20, says, uh, Still, he had the wounds, right? So they were able to identify him. John 20 told Thomas, hey, touch my side. See that it is I, right? So they were able to uh, touch his physical body, and he physically break and ate bread, right? It takes material matter to break and eat, right? A, a spirit cannot do that, right? Luke, Luke 24, 39, he could be touched, X. 1041, he ate, they ate and drank with him, right? So there was uh, some continuity between uh, the uh, physical appearance of Jesus before his death and after his resurrection. So he was recognizable. Um, and it's interesting, I think about this at times, Jesus was recognizable. Um, he's the first fruits. For us, what, is that? what does that mean? I don't know. When you die at 30, are you recognizable? And the new heaven, the new earth at 30. I don't know. It's some, something I think about. I have no idea what the answer is. But when the man dies at 50, does he, is he 50? I don't know. Does he appear 50? I don't know. But that's something I want to sort of study out more. But again, Jesus was recognizable. So um, <clears throat> Jesus' body was still in, or Jesus' body was still a physical body. It was transformed, but it was a physical body. Never able again to suffer, be weak or ill, 
or die. He had put on immortality. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 53. He had put on immortality. Now, let's take a look at this verse specifically here. First Corinthians 15, 44, or 42 to 44. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown imperishable, what is what is sown is imperishable, what is raised is what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. It's interesting, spiritual body. There is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So a uh, pretty clear and strong teaching here about uh, the resurrected body. So it's, uh, this verse says it's, uh, it's sown perishable, but it's raised imperishable. Uh, the Greek word has in there, has a mind there, an incorruption, an immortality, no longer subject to physical decay or death. It is sown in dishonor, it is, it is raised in glory. Uh, the Greek has in mind there uh, a most glorious condition, most exalted state, uh, physically attractive beyond imagination, right? <clears throat> and power here is interesting as well. It is sown, where's the power? It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Uh, strength, power, ability. The Greek has a mind there. Interesting. And it's a spiritual body. We see it's, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. A non-carnal, supernatural, regenerated body. All right, so when, as I'm reading through this and I'm looking at these Greek terms here, it's inter- I, all this, it's, it's good stuff. I think that's the, one of the best things to think about, heaven. It's, it's good Right? All of these things are good. There's no sin. There's no flaws. There's no evil. There's no death. It's all good. Um, at the same time, when we think about the fact that we do have these most, this most glorious condition, these powers, this, this ability, this supernatural regenerated body, we don't want to go too far, um, as we see uh, with some of our Mormon friends, to say that we become gods. We don't become gods. We have to maintain the creature-creator uh, distinction, right? We do not become gods, even with these glorified bodies, right? Um, there has to be a distinction there, lest we start to sort of wander off into um, a false teaching about this. So what are some characteristics of the resurrection that you guys would specifically look forward to? What are some, some of you? I know with me, I have my frustrations with the need for sleep. <laughs> I'm not an energy, I, I, I can't keep just going and going, although I would love to. Like, what's that movie? Duplicity? Multiplicity? Whatever, where he has like all these different. What is it? I think so, I don't know actors well. <laughs> but he like duplicates himself and he's able to do all these things. Um, obviously we can't do that. I don't think we'll be doing that in heaven either. But that's one of my frustrations is just, the, the limitations of needing rest. So I look forward to uh, heaven and the resurrected body where I won't have to sleep or worry about needing sleep to continue. If you, if you go without sleep for a period of time, you actually die. You can die from lack of sleep. But, but what about you? What, what are some things you, you look forward to in the resurrection 
and the glorified body. The end of sin, absolutely. Praying about all these different things, being wise and making decisions, and then just sometimes you feel like you felt Yeah. Yeah. So when it's all over, praise God, we're there. Right. I can't even imagine going through a day without struggling with wicked intentions and thoughts and it's just it's so what's that (laughs) right (laughs) externals and and internal (laughs) but absolutely what else anything about the resurrected body that you look forward to what's that (laughs) run and not grow (laughs) just take off in the heavens and just run and run and run (laughs) Interesting. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. We don't even have the faculty yeah. to grasp that. Right. Even in our highest thinking. Yeah. That that is. Yeah, that, that's crazy. But it's so exciting, <laughs> you know? That's, that's so exciting. <clears throat> All right, where did I leave off that? So um, continuing on, okay, so again, we're talking about the resurrection and specifically the nature of Christ's resurrection. Um, a fourth point here under this, the nature of Christ's resurrection, another common question about the nature of Christ's resurrection How should we understand that Jesus was able to appear and disappear um, out of sight just suddenly, to appear and disappear? Luke 24, 31 says, and he vanished from their sight. Also in Luke 24, 36 and John 20, um, 20, 19 and 26, Christ came and stood amongst them. Christ came and stood amongst them. That, That term... He came and stood amongst them. In, in these contexts, in these passages here, it, it has sort of in mind this, uh, this, appearing, this appearing and then disappearing. Um, it's not the idea of he sort of walked up and he was there, but it's he sort of appeared there. Um, how should we understand that? Well, there has been a recent um, alternative explanation that's, that's more novel in that it's not traditional. Um, Murray Harris, which is formerly a New Testament professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, um, he has a different view. He says, after his resurrection, Jesus' customary existence was a non-physical or non-fleshly form of his spiritual body. Non-physical form of his spiritual body. He says, sometimes Jesus was, w- would materialize into a physical body, But when Jesus ascended into heaven after 40 days, Jesus permanently gave up any more materializing into a physical body. It's an interesting perspective. Now, Harris would affirm a physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, yet his resurrected body was transformed into a spiritual body with new properties, he says. How should we think about that and sort of respond to Harris's view there? Well, I think it's uh, less complicated than we think. Uh, Luke 24, 31 says, 
and their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he vanished or disappeared, the NIV says, from their sight. So the Greek expression for vanished or disappeared occurs only once in the New Testament. And the word can mean disappeared from sight, um, as found in the writings of Diodorus Siculus, uh, which is a historian, um, sort of, not theologian, but a historian who wrote from 60 to 30 BC. And he used this term, he, he wrote of a man named um, Amphirius, who with his chariot fell into a chasm and disappeared. And he uses that same word that we see there in uh, the Greek. A man named Atlas, who was blown off a mountaintop by high winds, fell and disappeared. He uses the same term there, that same word. So in conclusion, Luke 24, 31, all we conclude, can conclude is that the disciples no longer saw Jesus. He was taken from them. Um, I think we have to be careful with drawing up ideas about what happened here that the Bible doesn't give to us. Right, so we, we have to stop where the Bible stops and just says, and he was taken up from their sight. What that looked like exactly, how that worked out with a physical resurrected body, uh, we don't know. But we stop where the Bible stops. Um, if Jesus wanted to teach that his body was a physical body, um, as sort of Murray here says in his explanations. Um, and the fact that, so let me pull back here. Jesus, he, he, he's teaching that he has a physical body. Specifically, I think, in, in Scripture, when we see he ate bread, he, he broke bread, he ate fish, they touched him. I think the, uh, the Spirit, God in the Spirit in these writings is going to this length to show us that, you know, it was a physical body. It wasn't a uh, spiritual body with different properties or whatnot. If Jesus was essentially spiritual, it would be misleading for Jesus to say, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have. Luke 24, 39. So clear there. So he, he did not write flesh and bones you see that I temporarily have, as Harris says. No, flesh and bones as you see that I have. If Jesus wanted to teach that his body was essentially spiritual, he could have dematerialized before their eyes. The disciples wrote that Jesus ascended into heaven from a physical body, right? Um, that's just that there are different teachings out there around Jesus' uh, bodily resurrection, and we should be aware of them and able to just, again, go back to scripture. What does the Bible say? Um, we go as far as the Bible goes, we stop where the Bible stops. Um, his word is sufficient on everything. All right, so a physical resurrection of Jesus and his, or the, the physical resurrection of Jesus and his eternal possession of a physical resurrection body gives clear affirmation of the goodness of the material creation that God originally made. Genesis 1:31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. So we have to be on guard from falling into this error of thinking that non-material existence is somehow a better form of existence for creatures. Again, maintaining the creator-creature distinction. 
It is a very material, physical, renewed universe. I'm sorry, as a very physical, material, re renewed universe, it seems that we will need to live as human beings with physical bodies. Now, a glorified body, but a physical body. Romans 8.21 says, we will live in a renewed earth that will be set free from the bondage of corruption. Set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. According to 2 Peter 2.13, it's promised that we are waiting for for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. In Revelation 21-26, we will dwell in a new Jerusalem and people shall bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. And in Revelation 22-1-2, then the angel showed me the river, the water, life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street, city, street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. <clears throat> the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Randy Alcorn says on heaven in this physical resurrected body, heaven, the new earth, is a physical place where we will dwell in glorified physical bodies, 1 Corinthians 15, 35, 58. The concept that heaven is in the clouds is unbiblical. The concept that we will be spirits floating around in heaven is also unbiblical. The heaven that believers will experience will be a new and perfect planet on which we will dwell. The new earth will be free from sin evil, sickness, suffering, and death. It will likely be similar to our current earth or perhaps even a recreation of our current earth, but without the curse of sin. John MacArthur adds, God made human beings body and soul together. He formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. We, insist, we consist of an inner self and an outer self. Therefore, our ultimate perfection demands that body and soul be renewed. Even the creation of the new heaven and new earth demands that we have bodies. A physical earth calls for its inhabitants to have physical bodies. I think that's a good point he makes there. All right, let us um, transition here. Any, any thoughts on that before we move forward to the next point? Any thoughts? John says he saw Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and God coming to dwell earth man. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah. And this, it can be... I know in my sort of upbringing, it was sort of easy to see heaven as, I don't know, just a very um, mystical, misty uh, place. It's just, it's common thinking in Christendom that heaven is, it's, it's non-physical, um, but there's clear evidence in scripture. Um, and scripture talks a lot about heaven. 
um, and resurrected bodies. So again, we go where the scripture goes and we stand there um, where the scripture stands. Any other thoughts? I thought, I thought about that, too, as I was reading through this. Um, and, well, first I'll say, I don't know. Um, but when, when I think about it, the, the scars in Jesus' um, side and his hands, um, they signify, uh, what, I think, what, what we said earlier, his vindic- the vindication uh, that's there in his resurrection, that he was, God was fully pleased and he was uh, vindicated. And through that, we are justified. So um, maybe somewhere in Revelation I've read before. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't remember. But um, I think that there, there's a specific purpose in that uh, for Christ and also points to his humility, one that uh, Christ, who is God, uh, eternally now wears, hum- wears a, 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 a physical body um, is just extremely humbling. Um, and points to his, his humility and his humiliation and his humility as uh, the Son of God. And I think his, his, the scars do the same. They, it's, it's a pointer and a reminder of uh, just God's goodness and, and the, the vindication of Christ and what he did for God's elect. So, that's just my thoughts around it. I don't think I've ever read anything specifically on that. <clears throat> Any other thoughts? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And then Paul said in Romans, when you speak to believers in Rome, that they will inherit the earth. Mm. So it's not like we're here to Right. Right. <laughs> Bringing it back to, yeah, yeah, back to the word. Clear, clear teaching on, on that topic. <clears throat> All right, a few minutes uh, left, left here. We've got a good bit to cover. So um, third point here. So we talked about specifically the, uh, the nature of Christ's resurrection, the New Testament evidence for the resurrection, and now both the Father and the Son participated in the resurrection. So some texts that affirm the Father raised Christ from the dead, Acts 24, do I have that one? Yes, Acts 2.24. Let me have someone read Acts 2.24 for us. Can you read Romans 6, 4 as well? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. All right. So again, um, the Father and the Son participate in the resurrection, but specifically in these texts we see 
um, the Father uh, raising Christ from the dead. By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in Just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the of life. And clear, Acts 2.24, God raised him up. 1 Corinthians 6.14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Galatians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right? But the text also speak of uh, Jesus participating in his own resurrection. I'm going to read John, John 2 for us here. John 10 as well. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Thank you. So, what we see here, I think this should cause us to think that Jesus has supreme authority. He has supreme authority. He is the life and the resurrection. Like it says in John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus has a supreme authority. So we do not trust in a dead, weak, lifeless Savior, Right? We trust in a Savior that's alive. So his power and vindication is displayed in his resurrection, right? So Christianity is distinct from all other religions in that our Savior is alive. He has supreme authority over all things, life and death, right? Another point under this, the doctrinal significance of that in his resurrection. Uh, Christ's resurrection ensures our regeneration. It ensures our regeneration. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, one, our King, our Lord, Savior, supreme authority. Two, and I mentioned this earlier, the the resurrection of Christ is uh, the hinge on which the door of our justification swings. Right? I'm going to read a verse that gets at that a little more clearly in a second. And then Ephesians 2, 5 and 6, and Philippians 3, 10. Um, we're short on time, so I won't be able to read through all those, but note those, um, and I'm going to move on to the next point for the sake of time here. All right, so um, let's sort of, now the, so what? Um, it's true. The Bible is clear about the resurrection. Um, New Testament evidence, evidence in the Gospels, um, the nature of, of the resurrection is true and clear in the Bible. Uh, the Father and the Son participated in the resurrection. The resurrection is huge 
for the believer. It's not a small thing, Romans 4, 25. He was raised for our justification. We don't talk about the resurrection a lot, but again, it's huge. All right, so, so what? How does that affect what we live, how we do, how we understand life? Think of what kind of life you live now in light of the resurrection by the Spirit. This resurrection life uh, within us implies power for the Christian life and power for ministry. Power for the Christian life and power for ministry. So both the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are necessary for forgiveness of sins and justification. He was raised for our justification, Romans 4.25. When God the Father raised Christ from the dead, it was a demonstration that he accepted Christ's suffering and death as full payment for sin. So he didn't pacify it, but he satisfied it. And that the Father's favor, no longer his wrath against us, was directed toward Christ and through Christ toward those who believe. Since Paul sees Christians as united with Christ in his death and resurrection, God's approval of Christ at the resurrection results in God's approval also of all who are united with Christ. And in this way, we, the result is their justification. Right? So our union with Christ is, um, again, the foundation for our justification in the resurrection. Our union with Christ is our foundation for justification in the resurrection. Before I lose my place here. So it is right to say that the resurrection is the crowning event in Christ's redemptive history. The cornerstone of Christianity, the foundation of the gospel, and the ripe, fertile soil in which the oak tree of our justification springs. It's the resurrection. It's about the resurrection of Christ. Another point here, Christ's resurrection ensures that we will receive perfect resurrection bodies as well. Perfect resurrection bodies as well. So the ethical um, significance of the resurrection as we consider these resurrection bodies. Um, actually, before I go there, how much time do we have? A minute. Before I go there, I want to back up a little bit. Um, actually, no. We only have a minute. I'll keep going for it. All right, so um, ethical significance of the resurrection. So first, again, the so what here. This should cause us, as we think about the resurrection um, and our justification that comes through the resurrection, this should cause us to continue in the Lord's work. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Well, why? Because there's a reward, one, and two, because we know how this ends. We know how this drama, which is the Christian life, ends. Yes, through many trials and pains, we must enter into the kingdom, but it's as if we've been given the medal before we even started the race, right? I ran track growing up a lot, 
And I remember being at the starting blocks, you know, so my hands are down, I'm in the blocks, and I'm getting ready to race. My heart's, you know, beating. And it's as if the, the person at the end comes up with the medal and puts it on my neck and says, it's over, you've won, right? We still run, right? We, we, we grow in sanctification, we grow in grace, but it's as if we've already won before we started the race. Again, in Christ Jesus, in union with Christ, right? <clears throat> so we have been predestined and saved unto, not by, but unto good works, which God will see that he accomplishes through us. So we trust and obey. Again, the resurrection should cause us to continue in the Lord's work. Uh, second, we should focus on our heavenly reward in light of the re resurrection when the struggles of this life will be repaid. So again, back to the reward there. Focus on the heavenly reward. At that time, the struggles of this life will be repaid. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 19. And if Christ has been raised, your faith I'm sorry, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those, who were, then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if Christ has, if in Christ we have no hope in this, I'm sorry, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So, what am I saying? Because Christ has been raised, we have hope in the life to come. And the trials and the sufferings and the frustrations we go through now are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So it's like um, in, in the house I grew up in, we had this scale um, and it was this old white scale that had the, the needles. You don't see those no more, but it had a needle. And it would be like, so the sufferings of this life in comparison to what's to be revealed is like, finding a feather that's barely floating down because it's so light and saying, hey, let's, let's put that on the scale to see if the needle moves, to see how much it weighs. It's crazy. Don't even bring the feather over. It, it's not, the needle's not going to move at all. Sufferings, the feather, what's to be brought to us in glory, the scale, it does not compare. Now, th that gets hard when you're in the midst of sufferings and when you're dealing with whether it's depression or issues with your spouse or kids or whatever. But again, uh, Paul is clear here. The Spirit writes through Paul a clear and encouraging word that it doesn't compare. Don't bring it to the scale, whatever it is. Um, and again, that happens through the resurrection. Third point under the so what here, we should set our minds on the things of heaven. Set your minds on the things of heaven, the things above. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice the therefore that follows in Colossians 3. I'm going <clears> to... <throat> touch on this real quick. I know we're over, but I want to hit this real quick because I think it's important. <clears throat> Colossians 3, set your minds on the things above. In verse 5 in Colossians 3, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Because you set your mind on the things above, that affects 
how or what you do with your hands, with your eyes, with your lips, your intentions, right? So being heavenly minded affects how you live on earth, right? There's a connection there, a clear connection in Colossians 3. Think about the things above, therefore put to death this and put on that, right? There's a, there's a connection there. Therefore, because that's true, we should stop yielding to sin. Stop accommodating sin. Stop bowing to the desires of the flesh. Um, Romans 6 um, has this connection of being baptized with Christ, raised with him, um, and now considering yourselves dead to sin. Uh, so you must now also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's some force behind the words, must consider yourselves dead to sin. Again, this comes right after us being united with Christ and his, uh, his baptism and, and burial and his resurrection. Now consider yourselves dead to sin. It's you must or indeed or so consider yourselves dead to sin. And this terminology sounds a lot like Genesis 4-7. And when um, God's sort of speaking with Cain here, he says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. So the Hebrew word for that phrase has in mind, uh, you must rule over it or you must master it. You must have dominion over it. Um, and the King James literally says to rule, to have dominion, to reign. But this is the problem. Cain failed to reign over sin and death. Adam failed to reign over sin and death. Only Christ is worthy. Romans 6, 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Of no other person in history can that be said except Christ. So we being united to Christ, not only have, not, not only have we been given power to not sin, but we've been given a resurrected spiritual body, we'll be given a, re a resurrected spiritual body in which we cannot sin, right? We have power now that we can not sin, so we can say no to sin, but then we'll be given a spiritual body in which we can't sin. So apart from the resurrection of Christ, there is no hope for men and women. Um, and we are of all most to be pitied. But because Christ was raised, there is hope and life and joy. And so we just say, the Bible says it, we believe it, it works in our um, hearts by the Spirit. We're bearing fruit in this way, and we just thank God for the resurrected Savior. We thank him for the resurrected Savior. So I am over time, and I apologize for that. But I'm going to pray, and we'll close it out in that way. All right.